You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7. Deep South's oldest rivalry edition. You're going to get our picks today. You're going to get uh, who we think uh, for Georgia has a chance to really uh, play well on the plane Saturday. We're going to th- sprinkle in a little bit of Laramie Tunsil talk. Uh, that's something that Rusty has kind of teased over at the Dogs 24-7 Junkyard. Oh, man. Uh, little bit of an old oldie but but i'm I'm sure rusty's gonna bring the fire on that Man. and uh pretty much this this episode is gonna be focused focused around georgia auburn but rusty i know you're uh i know you're probably a little nervous having to come to the mic on this one i mean we're gonna i'm gonna be about 30 40 minutes into it i have a feeling i'm probably gonna have a surge so if i lose y'all on signal y'all can just hit me back next week on that <laughs> Sounds good. Let's start. Okay, so let's just dive right into this thing because we got a lot of Georgia Auburn we want to talk uh, as far as this one goes. We this was one of those weeks where we would normally uh, maybe try to fit three shows in because there's just so much to talk about, but schedules didn't line up for us this week. And but but we're we're getting this thing out to you guys in plenty of time uh, to to kind of catch the catch the morning drive on on Friday and have all Friday to listen to it. Uh, Rusty, starting with you, we, we all have, uh, you know, when we did the podcast on Sunday, we, we all had a thought about this game. Everybody did. And, and everybody's thinking usually ch- changes as the week goes on. How have your thoughts on this game progressed as the week has, has moved on? Uh, not really a, a lot of difference. I look at um, kind of matchups because, you know, Gus Malzahn presents a different type of offense. You know, he is uh, – he is a a different – I'm not going to say he's a Paul Johnson offense. I'm not trying to say it. But he is a unique running offense. You know, it's a there's a lot of wing T to this with a lot of different motions and that type of thing. Uh, he is a fast pace. You watch Auburn as they get a first down there on the line of scrimmage. Kirby Smart seen this. Kirby Smart has seen this at Alabama. Kirby Smart has seen this at Georgia. You know, I was there. Jake, you were there. November 11, 2017 at Jordan-Hare, Georgia got a beat down, and I'm talking it was 40-17. to 17. It wasn't even remotely that close. Past the first drive, Georgia got beat down. And in and, and history, you know, it came back and, um, you know, a little bit less than a month later, came back and beat them. Now, when I look at this matchup, knowing what Kirby Smart and those guys and how they've attacked this, uh, defense, I mean, this offense of Gus Malzahn, you look at 2017, Auburn goes right down the field. 2016, Auburn goes right down the field in Georgia, scores, that was it. Georgia beats them 13-7. SEC Championship, they come right down the field, score 7-0, Georgia outscores them 28-7. Last year, right down the field in Athens, score, Georgia outscores them 27-3 the rest of the game. So I feel like Georgia has a good pulse on what they're trying to do based off those numbers. Uh, so that's three out of four games that they, you know, one touchdown and done. One touchdown and done in three of the four games. 
Georgia's got a great defense. Auburn has a great defense. I think this game comes down to quarterback play, and we'll make our picks later in the game, uh, later in this podcast. I, I just feel like that's going to be a big advantage, but I also feel like Kirby Smart and, and what, what I'm seeing on paper has a pretty good pulse on how he plays Gus Malzahn and what he's done to him to be successful. Yeah, I, I look back. I went back and watched, you know, just kind of early part of of some Auburn games that the 40, 40 to 17 beat down. I went all the way back to 2014 uh, when uh, they came to Athens and did the same thing. Scored early, and Georgia scored 34 unanswered. Happened again in 2015. They only scored one touchdown in that game. So, you know, and I know those weren't Kirby Smart coach teams, but that's the point a, still stands. A, yeah, as a Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, what, right. what, what, what tree are they from? Yeah, all, no doubt. Very similar. It's a very good point, Jake. And and uh, Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart both would attack Auburn the same way. Just right now, Kirby Smart's got better personnel, but that's a great point. And they're same tree, same attack. Um, I just really feel like that Kirby Smart has seen this enough that this is how they're going to try to attack it. And and the funny thing is, it happened in 2017, too. I mean, sorry, not 2017, 2011, uh, that, that Auburn came down, scored early, Georgia routed them from there on out. And listen, we're not trying to say that's what's going to happen, but you go back and you look at that, and, and you look at some of those drives, and you've got to think that over the years, whether it's been at Alabama or whether it's been at Georgia, uh, Kirby Smart's seen it. I mean, there's only so much you can do offensively. And I'm not saying that that Gus doesn't have some tricks he can pull out, you know, and stuff like that. But you got to think that Kirby has seen the entire kitchen sink at this point. And that's something I think favors Georgia a little bit. Kip, Sunday to now, kind of how has your thinking around this game uh, kind of moved for you? How, how has it kind of progressed? Well, just kind of looking at the national ma- narrative here, the, the big question mark – when people are trying to pinpoint why Georgia might, you know, not why not they might not be able to pull this off, you know, they, they talk about you know what Georgia is going to not like their struggles offensively, basically how Auburn's defense is going to create a lot of mismatches and, and issues for them. But when I look at the other side, you know, how is Auburn going to be able to to get into the twenties against Georgia? You look at Bo Nix. Again, a freshman quarterback being asked to do a lot. He's been pretty solid this year, but you know when you look at the the better defenses he's faced. When you look at you know Oregon, Florida, LSU, he hasn't he hasn't completed forty uh, like forty two percent of his passes. He's at forty one point nine. You know four touchdowns versus six interceptions in those games, and those are you know those are good quality defenses that I think. Georgia's in that class as well, based on what their defense has, has done this year. Now, granted, we know the competition has been, you know, up and down for what Georgia's had to face in the field, but you, you can't, you know, you you don't have a role in that. You have to line up against whoever, you know, is playing against you. And Georgia's defense has played stout the whole season. And, and you look at Auburn's offense, everyone's pointing to Anthony Schwartz. I know him well. I'm well aware of his, you know, future Olympic track speed that he presents out there. But if you're pointing to him as their big play guy, he's still not averaging 14 yards a touch. It's still 13 and a half. He's not doing something that George Pickens hasn't been able to do. 
Dominic Blaylock hasn't been able to. I mean, Dominic Blaylock's averaging over 17 yards a touch. Now, granted, he's only had 12 touches, but I'm, he's still been that that guy after the catch. And then Lawrence Cager is averaging over, almost 15 yards a touch. So Georgia has comparable weapons, and, and I don't think Auburn can really push the ball downfield. I mean, the, the plays to Anthony Schwartz, you know, you, you see a lot of end arounds, see a lot of those, you know, they're, they're screening, they're, they're trying to get him the ball near the line of scrimmage and allowing him to hit that angle. And so, you know, teams are, are not really worried about him downfield so much as him is getting that angle and, and, and getting and getting outside of them. Now, obviously, Seth Williams has been pretty, pretty great for them this year, but you know, overall, looking at that offense, I have a lot of questions for Auburn, especially in the run game. Booby Whitlow is is still, you know, coming back from injury. Freshman DJ Williams ha- has been pretty good, but the, the rushing attack. I mean, they've been at their best when they have that thousand yard rusher. I think they had that. You know, they went like six years, seven years having a thousand yard rusher. In the last couple of years, you know, they have s- struggled to really have that formidable rushing attack. And, and Gus Malzahn's offense, it, it just doesn't work quite the same when when they don't have that you know dependable running back back there. And, and I'm looking to see if DJ Williams is, is ready for that big stage, if he's ready to be that guy for them yet in a big game like this. Because so far this year, it really hasn't come together for them offensively. And I think that you'd help Bo Nix out a lot if you had that. But they just really have not had that so far this year. So I'm, I'm, that's really what I've seen this week. How is Auburn going to break the 20-point plateau with the offense they have to put on the field this weekend? You know, I, there, there are a lot of different ways to look at this game. Obviously, Auburn has the bye, and they're playing in Jordan-Hare Stadium, which is, I mean, two big advantages there. And uh, but, but at the same time, I mean, it's, it's nothing new. I mean, yeah, Auburn hasn't had the bye week before Georgia, but uh, having a team, playing teams with a bye week in front of you, that's something Georgia's real familiar with this year. They've done it four times. Now, they've had the bye week on two of those occasions, so it's really helped. Uh, but, but, you know, so that was what I was kind of focused on early in the week. And then as the week's gone on, I've kind of, I've kind of fallen into a little bit different mode and that's just Georgia's depth and not just the depth on, uh, you know, not, not just depth in terms of, wow, this talent, this roster is really talented. It's the fact that Georgia plays 24 guys on defense. It's the fact they play eight defensive linemen and five outside linebackers and four inside linebackers and, you know, anywhere from six to seven defensive backs on, on a regular basis. And to me, you know, that, that gives me a different feeling on this game because if this does turn into what many are predicting, which is kind of, a, you know, two mules fighting over a turnip type thing on offense, then, uh, you know, the team, you know, three and out back on the field, three and out back on the field, five and out back on the field, stuff like that. I think Georgia's a little bit better equipped to handle that because because Auburn just doesn't play as quite as many guys. Now listen, I say that with the full knowledge that Auburn's top 14 or 15 guys on defense are as good as anybody. I mean, I, I've really, you know, I caught a little flack today on on the junkyard when I wrote my who has the edge piece because I pushed I kind of made it a tie between Georgia's defensive backs and Auburn's defensive backs. I have a lot of respect for those guys. Those guys have played a ton of football. I think Christian Tut's a fantastic football player at Star, and he's the youngest guy in that group, but he's got 20 games under his belt already. Uh, I love their safeties, Daniel Thomas, and and uh, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the Jeremiah Denson. 
Uh, so you know that they've they've got some they've got some some horses on the on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, some really really good ones, and uh, obviously everybody knows about that defensive line. And that that defensive line is a great equalizer. If Georgia's offensive line comes out and plays like it did in 2017, it's a wrap. They're gonna they're going to smother Georgia offensively. Uh, but but ultimately, I, I I like Georgia's depth, and that, that's kind of been what I've gotten a little bit more toward as the uh, as the week has gone on. What I've thought about more, uh, especially as I've gone back and looked at things. And I'll say this too, and I, I've I've mentioned this, I mentioned this in in our in our dog treats feature that we do every Monday. I've mentioned it on our on our message board over at Dogs Twenty Four Seven. I know not everybody's a member over there, but but I've said it. Guys, the 2017 game, the, the Jake Fromms and the Andrew Thomases who, who really struggled at Auburn two years ago, DeAndre Swift, uh, Walter Grant, the, the senior leadership on this football team, Charlie Warner, uh, they, they've had this game circled. And, and that's not to say that they've been thinking about this game during week two or week three of this season, but when the summer was here and, and, and those guys were, were going into meetings together and, and talking about how they want to lead this football team, that's something they were talking about. And I think that, that may count for something in this one too. Uh, but, but I'll tell you this, I, I've got a lot of respect for this Auburn team. Got a lot of respect for Bo Nix, even though he struggled big time. He's a tough kid. And, uh, and you always like to see the kind of toughness he puts on display from the quarterback position right up there with your Sam Ellingers and, and Joe Burrows and Jake Fromms and, 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 and Tua Tango Violas in terms of just how stinking tough they are and, and how competitive they are uh, and not quite on those guys' level with experience yet. But, but So I, I definitely you know, like this Auburn team a lot, but Georgia's depth has kind of been more on my mind as the week has gone on. Let's, let's take our break early on. And uh, and and we'll come back on the other side, and and we're gonna let Rusty give a little nugget on on the whole Laramie Tunsil recruitment. It's something he's been kind of teasing for a while, and uh, give him a second to think about it before he jumps right into that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Rusty. Judgment Day. August 29th. I can't remember what year it was in the movie, but I just remember the date was August 29th, August 29th, 1987, something like that. I can't remember in in the Terminator movie, but it's time, man. You, you ain't got to spill the whole you ain't got to spill the whole bucket full of beans. I can't, I can't spill, spill a spill bucket. a can. I can't spill the whole bucket because that wouldn't be good for me or anybody. Um, you know, uh, this is talked about a lot, and we both covered this. All three of us covered this deal um, until Trevor Lawrence came along. I said that Laramie Tunsil was the best high school player I've ever seen. I watched him work out at camp uh, for Mike Bobo and Will Friend one day uh, back when we could go to camps, which I know that was that was a long, long time ago. Uh, watched him work out one morning, the first time I saw him. And then I went down to the Georgia-Florida game, I believe 2012, maybe 2011, uh, the Malcolm Mitchell touchdown year. And the night before, I went to see Laramie play and um, – I just remember 
you know, I, I knew he was very talented, but getting in a stance, I remember, you know, a left tackle getting in a stance. I've never seen uh, somebody with that bend uh, more comfortable than he was. Uh, hey, we, we were both there, weren't we? Sure, might have been, might have been. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure we were. Yeah, that that the yeah the, when Colum- the night before the Georgia Florida game, I'm I'm 99 sure we were both sure. there. And, and he was just just demolishing. Yeah, some, he was nasty. It was poor some poor kid. And they tried to he put got he got called for holding twice yeah. that night just because he just thumbed just had, up thumb down the guy. Yeah, I mean, just his arm out, just extended on the guy. Uh, but but getting what where I'm at, you know the Georgia fans and the way that turned at the end. Um, you know, the very last week, I'll take everybody back. Um, so it was a week before signing day. Georgia had their last in-home, the very last one, their last in-home on uh, um, Wednesday. So it's Mark Rick, it's Will Friend, Mike Bobo, Brian McClendon, I believe, are there. There was an ice storm in Atlanta. So here, here's where things – this, this part didn't affect – the decision, but here's where things got weird because Mark Rick was down at Laramie Tunsil's that morning. He flew to Atlanta to be with Alvin Kamara to get their last in home with him. And he was going to fly back to Jacksonville to finish it. They were unable to get back. So Mark Rick got to spend the morning with Laramie and didn't get a chance to get back because of the storm. So it was really a crazy deal that day. Uh, and, and that didn't have anything to do with it, but it's kind of like, man, that things started working against George a little bit. Well, that Thursday, uh, I, w- I will not say a name, but I will say a friend that we all know, a guy that's in this business, a guy that covers the state for another company, uh, was at the school in, in Jacksonville. I was going to go down on Friday morning and get our last interview. He had, he had agreed to give us all one last interview before he made his decision on ESPN the following Wednesday. So that Thursday, somebody that I talked to a lot was there. It was Ole Miss's day. It was Hugh Freeze, uh, Chris Kiffin, and a few Ole Miss guys. They got their day. Well, that morning, Laramie is walking by those coaches, and he tells this reporter, who I absolutely trust, he goes, man, you come here. I don't even want to talk to those guys. I don't even want to talk to – those guys, meaning the Ole Miss staff, goes in, does his interview, uh, hangs out with him for a few minutes. Laramie literally leans to him and says, man, don't leave. I'd rather just hang out here. And and, and this guy's like, I, I've got to go. I've went to another school. So kind of leaves. That's roughly 10, 11 o'clock that morning. So at that point, probably not feeling, feeling like Georgia still because Georgia had a heck of a visit. I know they did. They had a really long day. They were there all the way to midnight, basically. Friday morning, I'm getting ready to leave to go to Jacksonville to get our last interview that that night, that afternoon. I believe he had a basketball game. I believe he had a basketball game. Um, he was going to get the last visit before. Get a call and basically said, it's over. He's going to Ole Miss. And I said, are, are you sure? And he said, yeah, the, the kid's going to Ole Miss. So J.C. Sherbert who was working as our, one of our national guys at the time, was doing Bill King in Nashville. I'll never forget. It was about 6.45 that morning. And he was doing the morning show for, for with Bill King. And I called JC and I said, hey, I got some I got some news for you. And he said, what is it? And I said, call me during the break. I texted him, call me during the break. He calls me. And I said, the kid's going to 
going to Ole Miss. And he goes, are you, how sure? I said, he's going to Ole Miss. Best sources I've got, he's going to Ole Miss. So at that point, J.C. puts it out, and then all you know what breaks loose on every major board, um, you know, that sources are telling us the kid's lean to Ole Miss, he's going to Ole Miss, that type of thing. All heck break loose for about three days. Uh, I'll get into Tuesday. Tuesday is the, la- the, the, the Tuesday before National Signing Day. At that point, Georgia's staff was, was, was back in touch with Laramie. Um, you know, he was at school and was back in touch with him and, and, uh, and some different things. Now, here's where it gets you got to kind of pit pieces together, you know, and I don't necessarily know all the answers there. But I do know that John Lilly, who is now the, the uh, tight end coach for the Browns, was the lead recruiter there with Will Friend and Mike Bobo. And all all those guys were knee-deep in this one. I mean, they were you know, recruiting a kid for two years. John Lilly stayed on the phone with Laramie Tunsil till about 3 o'clock in the morning on signing day. And basically the kid told him, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to Georgia. I'm going to sign tomorrow. I need you to talk to my mom. Um, and, and Lily's like, I, you know, let's get her on the phone. And, and for whatever reason, she wouldn't get on the phone. So she tells Laramie, you know, at one point, this is from a good, another good source. She tells Laramie, listen, I'll talk to them in the morning. Uh, let's all go to bed. It's late two, two or three o'clock in the morning. Now national signing day, that Wednesday and Laramie, you know, basically on the phone with the Georgia staff, the entire, I'm talking about the entire night. They take a time. An hour by hour, it's it's Mike Bobo for an hour, it's Will Friend for an hour, it's John Lilly two hours. It's back to talk to Mark Rick. I mean, they're working him all night. He's on the phone with them all night long. Mom says, "Let's go to bed. We'll talk to him in the morning." He commits around three three o'clock that afternoon, if I'm if I remember correctly. Doesn't go to school. Georgia never hears from him again. Uh, obviously, mom didn't call. She gets into school about 2.45. He goes on the air about 3.15, committed to Ole Miss. So it was, it was a crazy Thursday, Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but the, but the Tuesday was what was really, really wild, um, you know, because basically Georgia thought they had him back. And, um, you know, from, from when I'm here, you know, the kid was, you know, Coach, I, I want to go to Georgia. You've got to talk to my mom. I want to go to Georgia. I want to go to Georgia. It uh, just didn't work out. I do know – the night that he silently committed was the night of the state championship games when Alvin Kamara and those guys were playing in the Georgia Dome uh, championship game. bunch of Georgia staffers there, and all of a sudden, the guys on the sidelines start high-fiving, looking at their phones, and I ask a guy to find out what they're, you know, what's going on there, and, and the guy kind of talks to one of them. He said, hey, you know, and this guy, trust them, I trust them, and he said, yeah, the kid from Florida just silently committed to him on a text. So, you know, he was committed from mid-December on. And look, silent commits don't mean anything. That happens all the time. But the kid was a silent commit uh, from, from about mid-December until about about six days before signing day is when they uh, realized he was going to Ole Miss on that Friday. But, you know, a Thursday morning, you look at things, Thursday morning doesn't really want to be around anybody. It's Ole Miss's day. Friday morning, it's a done deal. He's going to Ole Miss, and, and Georgia was able, never able uh, to turn it around. But, listen – there's a million different stories from different angles. The sources I got that from, I trust. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, 
uh, insinuate anything. I'm just telling you what happened, and Georgia almost got him back in the end. But it, there's no point for second place. I say it all the time. Well, you don't have to insinuate a whole lot. There's a lot that came out on draft night. It's more, more than just a, more I, than just a gas mask. My side, and, and look again, that cost that kid to be a, you know, a top two or three pick. I mean, he was the best high school football, most athletic big guy I've ever seen. He's still in the league, but uh, that deal that came out, and you saw the text messages between the dad and the mom and the boyfriend. I mean, the boyfriend, the mom, and Ole Miss staff. I mean, it, it was, it was a mess. But when you, when you peel everything back. Larry Tonsville was a hell of a high school player. He was a great college player, and I think if he stays healthy, he's going to be a great NFL player for a long time. He he was he was ridiculous to see how flexible a big human being is. Yeah, he's he's doing a really good job with the Texans. There maybe has has kind of changed things for them on the offensive side, especially with Deshaun Watson. You know, have not having the pass protection he's needed for the past couple of years, but. Yeah, that one was crazy. Uh, let's uh, let's switch gears, get back into George Auburn here. And um, all right, old timer, new timer. Uh, it's, it's time for that. Uh, Rusty, or actually, let's go to you, Kip. Let's give Rusty a break a little bit. His mouth might be dry right now from from having to explain all that. Uh, where? Uh, give me your old timer, new timer to click in this game against Auburn. All signs point to this being just a slugfest. I mean, the the line of scrimmage obviously is is front and center in this game you know both teams have had outstanding play Auburn's got that incredible duo of Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown Georgia's got this offensive line that's huge and just you know has been outstanding in pass protection so far this year when I when I look at that you know, it points to to me that that I think that the key in this game is is going to come down to the quarterback play. I think that you look at Jake Fromm and you know that just like the had the st- the stat that he you know he hadn't won a game and that he's had to throw thirty or more passes, you know that stat you, you knew that he was aware of it and and obviously he was able to uh, to get that done this year as far as being able to win a game where he th- you had to throw that many times. But then the the other stat that that is get gets mentioned with him a lot is those SEC West. You know, those road games, the 46% completion percentage, uh, you know, throwing a, a pair of interceptions. The games he's played at Auburn and, and at LSU are games that he obviously would have liked to have had back or had an opportunity to perform better. And when we're getting down to the nitty gritty, this is, you know, the the back end of his junior season, all this discussion about whether he's going to come back and play for his senior year. You know, what? what is his overall narrative of Georgia going to be? We talked about that before the season. This is that game. This is that game where he gets to kind of, you know, etch his legacy at Georgia. And, and I think that when you look at that, I, I think it sets up well for Jake Fromm to, to come in and have that game, have that statement game for his career. And, and while it also, you know, when you look at Bo Nix, his tough games have been on the road. He's performed a lot better at home. So I, I think this game kind of, you know, goes to both quarterbacks. I like Jake Fromm in this game to have a big game. I, I think that, you know, he is going to be on point. He's going to be dialed in and focused. And he is going to make sure that he's on the same page with his playmakers and get the ball in their hands. So I, I, I like Jake Fromm to have a big game. And just 
staying on that same side, you know, I'll go to the other guy who's going to have a huge spotlight on him in this game for obvious reasons, and, and that's George Pickens. You know, true freshman wide receiver who flipped from Auburn to Georgia on signing day, uh, you know, breaking the, the hearts of the Auburn coaching staff and that fan base and the guy that, you know, they've they've definitely kept their eye on since that happened and they've been waiting for this game. You know, it's his moment to step up. Obviously, Lawrence Cager is going to be a huge factor, but he can't be the only factor for Jake Fromm. We've, I've mentioned, you know, the guys – you know, Dominic Blaylock and Demetrius Robertson, the other playmakers need to be involved. But at the same time, you can't ignore the fact that George Pickens has been their number two guy. And he's he's had to step up and be that number one guy when, when Cager was injured. I, I think this game is a big moment for him. And I, I think that it's an opportunity for him to become an even bigger villain for the Auburn fan base. And, you know, I look at those cornerbacks. They've played pretty solid. I think Auburn is a little bit stronger, you know, at safety than they are at cornerback this year, whether it's Javaris Davis, you know, out there. I think he's 5'10", 5'11", pretty physical, but, you know, not the biggest guy. And and then you look across from him at Noah Igbenogany. He's a guy that has had a lot of penalties on him in coverage. When he gets tested downfield – a lot of moments, you know, the the flag gets pulled out for him. And, and so that, you know, that is an opportunity for Georgia to push the ball down the field, take some shots at a guy like George Pickens. Maybe if he doesn't come down with it, you know, they, they get the penalty and, and they get some yards. I think I just think it's it's a chance for, for them to attack that, that defense downfield and, and really open things up for the rest of the offense and, and kind of keep that defensive line – from being able to, to pin its ears back and 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 keep that offense unpredictable, pushing the, the ball downfield would go a long way in doing that. And I think George Pickens is really set up to uh, to make one or two big plays down the field as the biggest uh, you know downfield playmaker in this football game. All right, Rusty, old timer, new timer. Uh, y'all know who I want to take my old timer. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go different this week because I'm I'm locked in for Andrew Thomas forever. Can I, <laughs> so I'm just gonna go old timer B this week. I'm gonna say Rodrigo Blankenship. Um, a game like this, yards are gonna be hard to come by, probably in my opinion. Uh, when you get in a red zone, things you know gets condensed. Uh, these defensive lines are gonna create pressure. You know it's gonna come down to in my opinion some special teams. I think it'll come down to who can not turn the ball over at a critical moment, who maybe not turn the ball over the entire game. And field goals. Field goals field goals will be important. Um field goals will be important to um you know to to Georgia and Auburn. I think both teams, you know, who can kick, but I, I Rodrigo Blankenship is a guy that um I just feel like has made big kicks. He's you know, look, he missed a kick in the in the in the SEC championship last year, but but he has been money, you know, and getting get, get, he missed a kick against South Carolina, but um, you know, there's no there's no other kicker in the country I'd want to try out there with a game on the line than Rodrigo Blankenship. And, you know, he's been in these big moments. He knocks them down continuously. Uh, I just think that Rodrigo's gonna come through maybe may three or four more field goals. And that might net and Georgia fans might get pissed to hear that, but three or four field goals in a win, you won't get you won't get pissed. Um, and I think my new my my um, 
from a newcomer. Um, I, I agree with with Kit, man. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what what's going to be. I, you know, I know all week they probably preached to George Pickens' composure, and you know, this is not George Pickens versus Auburn, and Kip's and Kip got that one. So, you know, for my for my guy, um, you know, we all look at we all look at uh, receivers, we all look at things like that, but. You know, where's Tyreek Stevenson this week? You know, I mean, we, Jake, you didn't get to watch practice any, did you? Not one minute this week. Okay. So, you know, we don't, we don't really know if, you know, if Wilson's ready. Um, you know, Tyreek Stevenson, to me, is a big body guy. You got to be able to tackle in space. They're going to throw a lot of bubbles. They're going to run a lot of reverses. You're going to take on, you know, pulling guards and that type of thing. So, that big body in space. Um, you know, I, I was impressed with what I saw out of him last week for the first time of getting a good sample size of Tyreek Stevenson uh, at, at money. So, you know, I think you're going to see more reps out of him, and, and I'll go with him. I'll, I'll go my newcomer. I'll go Tyreek Stevenson makes a play that uh, maybe, you know, shuts down a third down, maybe bats a ball, uh, maybe makes a great tackle in space that saves a lot of yards after contact and, and keeps him from moving to change. But, um, you know, George is all about the size and speed, and, and you know, for a young player, he's got it. That's actually a low-key, really good pick. I like that one a lot because he's a guy that's going to be in the game. If if Wilson's unable to go, he's going to be in the game on every money down, like every big down, every third and five-plus. It's, it's Tyreek Stevenson on the field, and he's going to be matched up on somebody and a couple, two or three pass breakups or a, or a big tackle in space, and – He's definitely pulled his own weight in that game. You know, on the offensive side, you know, listen, man, I'm kind of upset because I can tell neither one of you read my stuff, all right, because I wrote a story about Lawrence Cager today, and Lawrence Cager is nasty against against the good teams Georgia's played this year. 18 catches for 307 yards against the three best pass defenses on Georgia's schedule, Notre Dame, Florida, and uh, and Missouri, and that's in two and a half games. He didn't even play the second half against Missouri. He had 93 yards receiving. That was with his only drop of the season in that game and didn't even play the second half. He's been phenomenal. So I'm going with George. I mean, going with Lawrence Cager for my um for my old timer. I, I really think that he has I really think that he is is a is a good matchup in this game, whether it's whether it's against Igmanaga. I'm not even gonna try. Whether it's against that guy. Or whether it's against uh, whether if it's against Davis, I really think the matchup issue is with Davis uh, because of uh, you know he he really uh, Notre Dame had a smaller corner he had a lot of success against that guy and so I think that's an area where we can we can really kind of focus in on and, and see if George is going to try to exploit that mismatch. I, I've you know I wanted to go defense for for my young timer, but then I look at a stat for Auburn. And listen, most of these came in the first two weeks of the season, but the other ones came last week. And that's the fact that Auburn has allowed five punt returns this season of 20 yards or more. Five. That's that's bad. That's that's bottom of the country type bad. And <clears throat> like I said, I know most of that was early in the season, but they also did it against Ole Miss as well. I think I think Dominic Blaylock might be able to get one. And and he showed some promise with that last week against Missouri, uh, a team that has done a pretty decent job at covering punts. Uh, he, he was able to kind of bust loose, break a couple tackles. He showed why, uh, you know, you heard so much good stuff about him during the preseason. 
is because he is a tough guy to tackle. He's not necessarily just somebody that's going to break somebody's ankles in space, but he's quick. He makes those real last-second sudden movements that, that keep guys off his legs, and, and he's able to keep his feet. And and that that kind of stuff is is huge. It really is, and, and I really expect uh, that, that he's going to get an opportunity or two in this game to, to kind of get something going. All right, now, real quick, um, don't want to spend much time on this at all. You get one phrase, all right? You get one phrase, Georgia wins this game if. All right, let's start with you, Rusty. Georgia wins this game if. Control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. All right, Kip, Georgia wins this game if. Jake Fromm's jersey is clean. All right, Georgia wins this game, and I'm going to go Jake Fromm as well, if Jake Fromm averages more than eight yards per pass attempt. Georgia's 24-0 when he does that, so I feel pretty good about that one. All right, let's move into the picks, guys. Uh, and, and, Kip, I'll start with you, man. Um, what's your pick? Like I said before, I mean, this is we've talked about the line of scrimmage. We've talked about, you know, Auburn's defensive line. But I, I think this game comes down to this the – the quarterback play, like I said before, I mean, this is the veteran versus, you know, the rookie and people have pointed out, uh, Bo Nix has played better at home than he has in the road. Well, that's true, but who has he played at home? He's played Kent state. He's played Tulane. He's played Ole Miss. He's played Mississippi state. No offense to any of those programs. But these are not teams that we're we're talking about as having, you know, defensive juggernauts right now. I think it's pretty obvious that Georgia is going to be the best defense that has come to Jordan Hare so far this season. So, again, it's not out of the realm of expectation to think that Bo Nix is going to have somewhere in that 45 to 50% completion percentage which is kind of normal under Gus Malzahn's offense, but still. And then, you know, he could have a turnover or two. You flip over to Jake Fromm. I mean, he has been under the microscope as much as any quarterback I think any of us has covered. You know, in our 30-whatever years we've been covering Georgia football, uh, he's been under the microscope more than anyone. And, you know, some points are valid. Some talk about his weaknesses have been blown out of proportion at the same time. At the end of the day, experience does count for something, in my opinion. You know, and, and, and that's why I, I, I feel pretty good about Georgia's chances in this. I think that James Coley, another person who's been widely discussed this season, I think he has an opportunity to really put Fromm in a position to be highly successful in this game. I, I think, you know, they've been stubborn sometimes. Uh, this this year offensively, they should know they're not going to be able to just line up and, and punch Auburn in the mouth between the tackles and expect a win. I, I think you'll see them attack the you know the middle. They're going to keep need to keep them honest. But again, continuing what they were able to do in that Florida game and continuing to be a little bit more creative on offense. You're going to be able to wear down this this Auburn defense, and you're going to be able to do that with tempo. And I'm not saying they're just going to go out there and throw down on the no huddle offense, but I think we've seen Jake Fromm perform, in, you know, in an up tempo situation. He does it really well. You know that quick passing game. 
if you know whether it's dumping it off to a back, throwing a screen or two in there, hit some slants, whatever it's possible that he needs to do to get the ball to their playmakers in space. And I think that's what they do in this game. I, I think that Auburn's defense will be pretty strong early on, but I think that Georgia is going to have an opportunity to continue to wear them down on both sides of the ball. I think Georgia's defensive line will will be the difference on that side of the ball just because of that depth. Their ability to rotate guys in, I think it's going to help them in the second half against them. Uh, I think that in a game of quarterbacks, Jake Fromm is going to be the one that comes out on top this year. I have Georgia winning 27-17. You got this thing pegged as a shootout, Mm. an absolute shootout, swashbuckling shootout. Uh, All right, Rusty, what you got, man? Uh, You know, if you've been to Auburn before, I mean, that place is – it can get it can get as loud as anywhere in the country. They got a their their video board is ridiculous. Um, you know, Georgia has very experienced players. Jake Fromm's played there, um, but that being said, it, it 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 plays a part in the game. Their players feed off that energy. I mean, that place can get rocking. I mean, this game's a toss-up to me. I mean, I, I just feel like that Auburn's got a great defense um, on the road at Jordan-Hare. Um, you know, I felt good about the matchup against Georgia and Florida uh, when I picked it a 10-point game. I think this game right here uh, is going to come down to who makes that mistake, who makes the mistake in the fourth quarter. I mean, who has the, you know, a tip ball for interception, who puts it on the ground, uh, you know, no telling what uh, could happen in this game. And and I really, truly feel this is a toss-up. I mean, this is a coin flip um, because you're at Auburn. It's such a different um, atmosphere to play in. I'm, I'm going to take Georgia, uh, and I'm going to take Georgia a lot with, with what, you know, Kip said there, Jake Fromm over Bo Nix a little bit, you know, with a with an experience and a uh, – playing in big-time games, playing in Jordan-Hare before. I'm going to take Georgia, but, man, I think it's going to be an absolute just just slobber knocker, uh, tough to get anything going. You know, first downs will be hard to come by. I don't think either team's going to run it well. I think it's going to be a defensive game uh, between two very, very good defenses. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I'm going to take Georgia 17, Auburn 14. I had a weird dream about this game the other night. And it's one of those things where when you're around it every day like I am, sometimes it just kind of dominates your thoughts. And I think that's what happened here. And and it was that um was up in the press box. It was halftime. Neither team had scored. And uh, um, it come out in the second half. Both teams score on the opening drive, score touchdowns on the opening drive. And Claude Felton, Georgia's sports information director, came out and looked that came came over and told me. And he never comes over and talks to me during games. All right, so this is just completely wacky. And he said, "Man, this thing. Where where were where were these offenses in the first half?" And ever since I've had that, ever since I've had that dream, I've been thinking like, I think that's how this game is going to play out a little bit. Now I don't know if there, either of these teams shut each other out in the first half. 
Uh, but I think scoring is going to be tough to come by. I think both teams get it going a little bit in the second half. But I think Georgia gets it going a little bit more. Uh, I really like the Jake Fromm to to uh, Lawrence Cager thing, and and I think that that him staying healthy for this entire game is going to be critical. Uh, I do think that that if he gets banged up like he did against Missouri, he's probably going to come back into the game, unlike he did against Missouri. So so I do believe that's there. Another thing, defense travels, man. Defense travels. Georgia's play, again. Georgia plays a lot of guys. And, and, you know, I know that Auburn's coming off a of bye week. I still think Georgia's going to be fresh defensively. I think Georgia's going to have a lot of options defensively. And, uh, and I just see Georgia playing well on, on defense and, where, and, and allowing Georgia's offense to move the ball a little and wear the Auburn defensive front down. And uh, ultimately, I have Georgia kind of pulling ahead in the second half and, and winning this game. Uh, my final score pick is going to be 23-13. Uh, and and that's you know that I know that ten points is a lot in this game. I completely get that, but but I just think it's an outlast type situation. It's going to be close going into the fourth. Georgia gets the score, Auburn doesn't, and that's the way it's going to be, uh, as far as I see it. And you know we'll have it covered for you because I'm interested to see that new Auburn press box. I've heard it's in the corner of the end zone, which if if you've ever had to cover a game is a nightmare. You can't even see the action going away from you. But I'm interested to get down to the plains and see what's going on, and uh, and kind of get to experience this thing because this will be their biggest home game of the season to this point. Uh, either either one of you guys have any parting shots before we get loose? Huge game, and I mean huge. We 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 did all both Kip and I both got that text from Rusty this week. <laughs> huge game. Some other some other language we can't share on the podcast, some but other huge active. game. But this is a this was a this is a big one. This was a big one for the SEC East. The big one, um, you know. Now Georgia's four. This is a massive, massive game. It's not as big as game as it is in Kip Adams' household, but this is a massive game on the national level. Kip, you want to talk about that for just a second? How big is this game in your household? Sorry, Kip. We have not talked about that game this entire week, and we probably will not talk about it on Saturday. Uh, it's usually a two-week moratorium on, on discussing the outcome of this game. Uh, I do. Uh, I, I can't I have to point out that a couple years ago, this game, the, the second time these two teams played, uh, that uh, I believe it, December second, it was uh, on our anniversary. That was a tough one, guys. That was a tough one. Uh, I, you know, it was a it was a good day on Dogs Two Four Seven, but uh. Tough, tough day in the Adams household. We'll, uh, you know, we both win, we both lose, regardless of how this game turns out in my household. But, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what happens, and, and really interested in, in in this one. But I'm not bringing it up. Uh, hopefully, uh, none of you guys do either. <laughs> yeah, that's, I can't imagine being in that situation. Uh, if Georgia wins, you definitely won't be talking for for a few days for sure. Uh, but listen, we've given you guys our thoughts. We've given you guys our picks. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And and that's wherever you listen to your podcast, iTunes, wherever, Stitcher. Uh, we'd appreciate that. But for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell, also of Dogs 24-7. And this has been the Junkyard Dogcast. Take it easy.